This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today. Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. First and foremost, neighbors, we've snagged a new sponsor. It's audible.com. They've got a special place to get a free book with a trial offer at audible.com slash Paracast. Now, our listeners may have noticed last week that Chris O'Brien didn't sound too terrific. And the reason is he was suffering from a lung problem, apparently COPD. It's not a trivial thing. It's a pretty serious ailment. And the flu. And a couple of days after we did the recording session, he went to the hospital for treatment, which was a good idea. Get the doctor the chance to have at it there and see what's going on with him and to help him on the road to recovery. So he's still in the hospital as we do the show. And he is sounding better to me. He is recovering. He's raring to go. So hopefully he'll be back on the show next week or the week thereafter. So we all wish the best. Get well, Chris O'Brien. In the meantime, we have a guest co-host and we have, I guess we'll call him a guest moderator or a panelist. We have Erica Lukes joining us this week again after being here last week. I'm excited. Now, if Chris wasn't here last week, you would have had to have interviewed yourself. Well, that could have been quite interesting. Especially if you disagreed. (laughs) Well, I'll leave that to you. (laughs) That's why you needed to be there. Right. And direct from his palatial estate in Scotland? That'll be me, Gogs Mackay, yeah. Um, And I was just going to say that my own father has COPD. He's actually in hospital right now, too. And I had a friend who smoked a lot, died from it a couple of years ago, but he had it like really bad. So it is a serious thing. And I'm glad that Chris is in hospital getting the right treatment. That's one of the things that took down Leonard Nimoy, you know, COPD. That's right. Right. He was also a lifelong smoker. Let it be a warning to you. Anyone in our crew here, and that means you too, special guest Kevin Randall, any of you smoke? I used to smoke LZs, but that was in Vietnam, and I used a smoke ship. <laughs> so that really doesn't count. <laughs> I used to smoke, but I switched to the electronic ones um, seven years ago, and I've never smoked tobacco since, not even once. Does that make a difference? Does that help your lungs? Do you feel well, better? Oh, absolutely. I, I felt the difference just within a few short weeks. You know, I, I couldn't expectorate, you know, cough up anything, even if I tried just now. My lungs are clear. That's great. Yeah. The closest I came was as a teenager, and I gave it up real fast. I won't say I didn't smoke anything. I'll mm-hmm. leave the definition of that, depending on whether you live in a state where it's legal. Interesting. <laughs> Isn't it? It is. So let's move on here. We asked Kevin Randall to come on because he recently wrote a book called Roswell in the 21st Century, and he kind of previewed that book the last time he was on the show last year. And we thought it's time to maybe put the wraps on Roswell once and for all, because this has gone on for so many years, and it appears to be less 
than we expected to be. Okay, but Kevin, before we start with that, and there'll be a lot of questions from listeners as we progress, and we should reacquaint people with the legend very briefly, real briefly, and that is we're talking about a case here that after the initial publicity, oh, it's a flying disc, oh, it's a balloon, it kind of dies down, and wasn't rediscovered until over 30 years later. Well, that's not quite right, because there had been mentions of the Roswell case in various books over the years after 1947. Frank Edwards in Flying Saucer's Serious Business, which was published in 1965, has two or three paragraphs about it. And he got practically everything wrong other than the name Roswell and that the Air Force had, had explained it as a balloon. So there were mentions of the case, but it, it sort of broke open after Jesse Marcel, who was the air intelligence officer in Roswell in 1947, uh, was telling friends on his um, the CB radios, uh, shortwave radio, his ham pals, that he had picked up pieces of a flying saucer. And through that, that information got to Stan Friedman. Friedman talked to Marcel and for over a year didn't do anything with it because they didn't have a good date for it. And Bill Moore found a picture of Marcel in the newspapers in 1947. And from there, they kind of put together a, a, a short book, The Roswell Incident on the Thing. And it kind of grew out of that until an awful lot of us were looking at the Roswell case, thinking that this may be the one that substantiates alien visitation. And it seemed to be a very robust case with lots of witnesses and lots of things going on. So it was a very important case in the early 1990s uh, up through about the end, end of the decade, end of the century, end of the millennium. It just went on and on. And as you mentioned, I don't make a big deal of the Frank Edwards book because it really wasn't noticed then. You had to have the contact with Marcel later on. It's just another case mentioned, a few paragraphs in somebody's UFO book. And to be very frank, I knew slightly Frank Edwards in the last year or two of his life. And he wasn't really a crack researcher. He was a storyteller, right? Yes. And he got a lot of details wrong in his books. I think he wrote basically from memory, and he didn't bother to check to see if his memory was right. But there were other mentions of the Roswell case periodically. Lydia Sleppy, who was the teletype operator at the radio station in Albuquerque, who was talking to Johnny McBoyle when he was feeding her the story of the Roswell crash and received the information that, uh, you know, to stop this transmission. That appeared in a magazine article in 1976, for example. So there were little bits and pieces of of, of it scattered around, uh, but nobody was really looking at it, especially when you start talking about a UFO crash. If you remember back in the 1950s, there was a book called Behind the Flying Saucers, which alleged a crash in Aztec, New Mexico in uh, 1948. And that was thoroughly debunked in the 1950s, right after the, the story had come out. And almost every ufologist just didn't even want to listen to stories of UFO crashes. It just that didn't happen. They weren't interested. And it was actually um, Len Stringfield who had begun researching other tales of UFO crashes uh, quietly uh, behind the scenes. And he did a paper, I think it was in 1978, as a matter of fact, talking about some of these UFO crashes that he'd heard about and saying that maybe we ought to look at these things a little more closely, and he had talked to Marcel as, as well, although in the paper, there's no mention of the Marcel case in the presentation he gave in, I think it was Ohio for the MUFON Symposium, that had been added to his presentation. So there were those things going on. I'm not sure that the Roswell incident made much of a splash either in ufology, and it wasn't until 
the, the Center for UFO Studies actually had asked Friedman if there was more work to be done in Roswell. And Friedman says, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that should be done. And they began their investigation, invited me into it simply because of my military background. They thought that I would have a better chance of relating to military people. I would understand the jargon. I'd understand what they're talking about, where a civilian who'd not served in the military might not be as cognizant of what they were what they were trying to say so it was after that point around 1990 that things began to blow up uh, nbc's unsolved mysteries did a segment on on the roswell case so there's a national television program back in the in 1989 doing doing something on it so that is sort of the evolution so it it was talked about in 1947 the military the government said now nah, it was a weather balloon don't worry about it and then there were little bits and pieces that dribbled out until marcel really kind of started the whole thing rolling in 1978. So we blame Marcel for everything that happened, huh? I'm going to. I think I think that's fair. You know, if he hadn't been blabbing, we wouldn't be talking about this now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but how, from the point that it blew up, what made this the case in the UFO field? Whatever you think about it, every time we've said on the Paracast, I guess we're not going to do anything else on Roswell. And then guess what? There's a new book out, there's something new, even when something ends up being a train wreck, like the not Roswell slides. An obvious train wreck, we have to come back to it. It remains fodder for pop culture. It remains a key plot point still in the X-Files, even in the, the reboot of X-Files. Well, Roswell may have involved a spaceship and we reverse engineered everything. It's not the presence of aliens, it's still... The forefront is still there, Roswell. We've got Kevin Randall. The book is Roswell in the 21st Century. Our guest co-host is Erica Lukes. Gogs Mackay is a member of the panel. You're in the Paracast. Here's a shout-out to Audible for supporting the Paracast. You know, for a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial... Go to audible.com slash Paracast. You know, Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original shows, news, comedy, and lots more. They even feature books from our paranormal corner of the universe, such as the one I'm listening to right now, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers. You know, we had the authors on our show featuring Stan Friedman and Kathleen Marden. Once again, here's that special offer for listeners to the Paracast. Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. It's easy to download and listen at home or while you're on the road, especially if you're stuck in traffic and need to just chill. You can also listen at the gym, wherever you have the time to give a listen. Just go to audible.com slash Paracast to sign up and get your free book. Audible.com slash Paracast. It's that easy. Dangerous blood clot device alert. If you or a loved one had an IVC filter placed to prevent blood clots from traveling to your heart or lungs and suffered an injury, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. The FDA warns that IVC filters may cause serious complications, such as heart or lung damage, internal bleeding, and even death. These dangerous blood clot devices can break and the metal fragments can travel to your heart or lungs causing serious injuries. If you or a loved one suffered organ damage or other injuries, 
injuries from an IVC filter, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Act now. Time is limited to file a claim. For a free consultation and free information, call Injury Help Desk at 800-478-1507. This is an advertisement. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Injuryhelpdesk.com is responsible for this advertisement. Principal Office, Las Vegas, Nevada. This is Dan Pillard. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. All right, guys, we're ready for our four season sunroom, and Daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments. Oh no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh no, wait, a family hub. Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-848-6333. That's 800-848-6333. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Oh, I like the way she says that. Why, well, thank you. You're welcome. Kevin Randall is joining us. Let me just tell you, we've got a second radio show we'd like you to check out. It's called after the Paracast. And what it means is it's color commentary, sometimes a background or sometimes a special interview, all sorts of good stuff. And the only way to get after the Paracast is to be a member of the Paracast Plus. Go to plus, P-L-U-S dot theparacast dot com. That's P-L-U-S dot theparacast dot com. And we also offer videos, selections of material from Paul Kimball's Other Side of Truth and more. Our rates start just $1.49 a week, about half what you'd pay for Starbucks. So give up the Starbucks and send the money to us. Plus.thepowercast.com. Kevin, we were dealing with the early days when Roswell was really taking off. Where did it make the jump to become the UFO case? It promised everything. It promised 
a large number of credible witnesses, starting with the senior staff at the Roswell Army Airfield back in 1947 and, and, and dribbling all the way down into the lowest of the enlisted ranks. It promised a crashed flying saucer, which would prove that there's alien visitation. It promised uh, details of the bodies, the alien creatures that had been killed in the crash. It promised everything you would need to prove that alien visitation was taking place. It promised all of that, and it seemed in the beginning that it was going to deliver on that because we were finding witness after witness who had been involved in some fashion, who could talk about the what the craft looked like, could talk about what the bodies looked like, talk about what was done, where it went. We were talking to people at the highest levels. We had general officers telling us about this. We had colonels telling us about this. So it promised all of this sort of information that would prove the case once and for all, and we would be done with arguing about whether alien visitation was taking place. Now we could take a step and say, okay, we know what's happening. What does it mean? What can we do about it? But it didn't deliver on any of those promises. But that's how it became so big. Kevin Goggs here, I'd just like to jump in. Do you think kind of what you've just said could even be condensed down to the fact that this was a case where there was this initial press release that said we have captured a flying saucer and forget about what happened after and changing their stories. But that's got to be pretty unique in the field, is it? The, you know, a military press release that says we've got one that hasn't promised so much from that. I think the problem with the press release is you have to put your mind back in 1947 and realize that flying disc and flying saucer was not synonymous with alien spacecraft. If you look at the newspaper articles that were going on in, in uh, late June, early July of 1947, there was a lot of speculation about what these things really were. And one of the least likely explanations was some kind of interplanetary craft. They were thinking they might be from Venus, they might be from Mars. We now, of course, no, that's not true. Uh, I'm not sure you, how you'd build a spacecraft on Venus when the surface of the planet is hot enough to melt lead. At least you could do the raw ingredients there and just do all the molten metals, assemble them there, and then somehow transport them in a bucket into Which space. I'm kidding. Absolutely. But I think if you look at it from that perspective, that, that it didn't necessarily translate into alien spacecraft and then you look at the timeline of the events they issued the press release around two o'clock in the afternoon a mountain standard time later on the east coast of course and then within hours literally three hours the explanation in general ramey's office in fort worth was well no it's a, just a weather balloon a weather observation device that confused some people and we've now got the explanation and so you have a a lower headquarters which would be the 509th bomb group in roswell issuing a press release saying we have a flying disc and then the higher headquarters coming out and say yeah we've looked at this it's nothing but a weather balloon the press release is kind of an enigma if you put it in the context of what in the hell was the purpose of it because all it did was generate a lot of problems especially for us 50 years later. But I think the, the, the press release is interesting that they've got a flying saucer, but then they said, well, no, it's not really, uh, it's a weather balloon, so don't worry about that sort of thing. There were other stories going on at the time in late June, early July of 1947 about other flying saucer crashes. There was one that came out of Montana and a pilot who had been flying in the area, um, the Bitterroot Mountains in Montana, but was based in L.A., was telling his boss that they had approached uh, some yo-yo-shaped 
objects, and one of them got caught in the prop wash of the airplane and, and plunged to its demise in the Bitterroot Mountains, and a couple of days later, that came out as a hoax. But there's all those sorts of things going on at the time, and nobody really has an answer, and nobody's, I shouldn't say nobody, few people were talking about it being any sort of, of extraterrestrial visitation. It was all terrestrially based for the most part, and the greatest worry was some kind of a Soviet secret weapon, or maybe a, a weapon being developed by the United States, either the uh, Army Air Forces or the Navy, that was causing the sightings. And one psychologist or psychiatrist or a scientist said, well, the, the real problem is it's, it's people uh, coming out of dark movie theaters and looking up into a bright sky and they see spots in front of their eyes. That's a legitimate explanation that was printed in the newspapers. Uh, admittedly, it's a dumb one, but they just didn't have an idea what was going on and alien visitation is kind of way down at the bottom of that list big question i have to ask you here is and maybe this goes back to some of the stuff that james carrion has been talking about the former director of mufa and he was saying the ghost lights this is a way to spook the soviets i guess in the early days of the soviets and then there was the other issue here where he thinks i suspect that Roswell was also something that we did. It might have been a test aircraft or something. He was going to have a book called The Roswell Deception, and I haven't seen what's going to be that yet, what that's going to be about. But isn't that something that would have been numeral uno to check first? Test aircraft, then balloons, or some combination thereof? Well, I'm not sure it would be the... First thing to check, but is one thing that was checked. I mean, we went to, and I say we, Don Schmidt and I actually physically went to White Sands Missile Range and sat down with the historians there and looked through the records to see if it was some kind of a missile experiment that had gone awry. Uh, I think in May in 1947, they actually dropped a missile in uh, Juarez, New Mexico. It got off range and fell in, in New Mexico, uh, Juarez, Mexico. So we looked at all of that. I have a complete list of all the missile launches at White Sands in that time frame. And they're all accounted for. So that's not an explanation. We looked for experimental aircraft and find nothing that had crashed. We looked at um, regular military aircraft. We thought maybe it had been a, a B-29 that crashed with an atomic bomb on board. Back in 1947, the atomic bombs were actually, the, the, the shape, the size was actually classified information. You couldn't even talk about what they looked like. Uh, today, of course, there's pictures all over the internet uh, to, to look for them. They, they, looked, they all looked sort of like Fat Man, which was one of the, I think, bomb dropped on Nagasaki in 1945. Uh, but we looked at all of that. We found stories. Uh, I think the, um, the Air Force dropped an atomic bomb in Albuquerque in 1957. We could find that stuff. So it, it might have been classified in the 1950s, but when we began our research, that information was available. We looked at all of that sort of thing. Let's do our and break here and look again on the other side. We've got Gox McKay and Erica Lukes helping me run the show with Kevin Randall. You're in the podcast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. 
Are you retired or facing retirement and you're afraid your income is going to be less than you'd like? I'm Pharmacist Keith, Dr. Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, and I want to show you a low-cost way to create your own business, working around your current schedule, creating extra income that will last for years to come by joining Dr. Wallach's crusade, spreading his message of better health. To learn more, visit radio.recordedvideo.com. That's radio.recordedvideo.com, radio.recordedvideo.com, or call 866-257-3105 for a recorded message. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. The following is an incredible, life-changing, free offer for anyone with hearing problems who wants to start hearing more clearly again. We're now offering free in-home trials of a revolutionary hearing breakthrough called Listen Clear to anyone who calls this special toll-free number now, 1-800-719-4926. Call now and you'll also qualify for free shipping. Listen Clear is precisely designed by top audio engineers. It adjusts to let you find the perfect way to hear things crisply and clearly, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And Listen Clear is so small and discreet, people usually don't even notice you're wearing it. And it's so lightweight, you may even forget you're wearing it too. Don't miss this special life-changing opportunity to hear things more clearly again for free with a 100% free in-home trial and free shipping. If you like it, you could even get free batteries for life. For free information, call now. 1-800-719-4926. That's 1-800-719-4926. 1-800-719-4926. Attention small business owners. Want to save money on your employee health insurance plan? Learn the little-known solution that could save thousands of dollars on your health insurance benefits and save your employees money, too. Call Health Markets for a free consultation, and one of our 3,000 local agents will show you how to make health care reform work for you. We'll design customized solutions for your business that can lower health care costs for you and your employees. We'll work directly with you to determine your needs. We search thousands of health plans from over 180 health insurance companies nationwide. You'll also find out if tax credits could save you money. Best of all, the service is free of charge. See why Health Markets has enrolled Americans in more than 2 million insurance policies. You don't have to wait for open enrollment to lower your cost. Call now. Find out how much you and your employees could be saving. Representatives are standing by to assist you. Call 800-930-5137. That's 800-930-5137. 800-930-5137. The following statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Something shocking just happened in a Coast Guard unit in San Diego. The old guys in the unit have turned the tables and are now destroying the young bucks in head-to-head fitness tests. How is this even possible? Turns out, the old guys in this unit have been part of a special test group for a doctor-formulated Fountain of Youth drink called Patriot Power Greens. Patriot Power Greens has been so effective for many of the older soldiers that it's made their achy joints, stiff muscles, and lack of energy a thing of the past. Previously, this drink was only available to elite military units. But for a limited time, the creator of Patriot Power Greens has set aside a small number of free samples specifically for our conservative friends. All they ask is that you chip in a few bucks to cover shipping. To claim your free samples of Patriot Power Greens, go to Greens75.com. That's Greens75.com. Greens75.com.
This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So the point here is, Kevin Randall, that you looked into the possibility of a test aircraft. You operate under the assumption that anything that might have been classified then would have been declassified in the intervening years. So there has to be a record of it somewhere. There's no possibility that something is just lost somewhere in the sands of time, in a military base or something. What sort of experimental aircraft that would have been classified in 1947's technology is so far out of date that it's absolutely useless today? You know, the assumption is, of course, that the technology has overrun that position and and we wouldn't have to worry about it. The Air Force if we believe them in this this respect, and I certainly do, said that they'd done the same thing looking for an alternative explanation. And they checked those same things that we had and found nothing for it. If you've got some kind of an experimental aircraft going on, there's going to be documentation. Even if one place has lost the documentation, somebody else is going to have it. And we would, we would be able to find it. So, well, of course, that's what it was. We just couldn't find anything. We thought that maybe it was some kind of early experiment to put people into space that had gone horribly wrong and ended up in the deaths of the the people involved, but we couldn't find anything suggesting that. And I'd always said that would be a really great story to talk about. Here is this experimentation going on in New Mexico in 1947 that involved human pilots of, of rocket ships and missile, well, rocket ships. We couldn't find anything that related to that. And others who have checked have have gone down the same road. So there doesn't seem to be any any terrestrial explanation that we can find that would account for what fell at Roswell. So Kevin, let me ask you, do you, some people say that Roswell was a red herring of sorts. I mean, do you think that there are any other crashes or cases that deserve to be looked at that took place the same time period? If you put it in the same time frame, I don't think so. We've looked at an awful lot of that stuff, and there were a lot of these stories circulating back in 1947, 1948. Aztec would be the one that that you would gravitate toward because there was the most information about it. But the evidence for anything happening at Aztec is virtually non-existent, contrary to what some people seem to think Mm -hmm. in today's environment. We looked at all those sorts of things and really couldn't find anything. The only thing that we could think of is some kind of a psyop but, but again, I don't know what would be classified today that developed in 1947. I, I just can't wrap my head around that because we know about some of the, the CIA testing uh, LSD on people. We know about those sorts of things in today's environment. The, I think the, the, they, they, they uh, flooded some subway tunnels with LSD to see what the reactions of the people were. Uh, so they were doing that kind of really unconscionable experimentation. So I, I can't okay, wait, 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 flooding the subways. Well, putting which subways? Putting New York. <laughs> oh, that explains a lot. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, they, they didn't do anything in Scotland, so you guys were safe. I was going to quickly ask you, Kevin, what do you do? You have any opinions either way on like Joseph Farrell's uh, research on the Nazi bell? Uh, could that be possibly the origin or some kind of technology that may indeed still be classified if it was, you know, working and used? There's nothing that we could find that links to that. We found we could find absolutely nothing that links to that. We've looked. We tried to. We tried to explain this thing when we started it. I went into this thinking we're going to go down to New Mexico, Don Schmidt and me, and we're going to spend uh, a couple of days down there, and we're going to come back with an explanation. 
the first couple of days while we're in Roswell, uh, in New Mexico, it seemed to be that was what's going to happen. We were to meet with this great group in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it turned out to be a bunch of people who were way off into woo-woo land. I mean, they were really gone and didn't have any information. And we went to talk to uh, some people in Roswell, and their information wasn't all that great either. And I'm thinking, well, this thing is blowing up in our faces. And then we talked to Bill Brazel, of course, the, the son of the rancher there, and, and it turned the whole thing around. And I remember as we were heading back to the airport in Albuquerque saying to Don Schmidt, you know, we've got to come back. We, we haven't touched this deeply enough. And then from that point on, we found the family of Sheriff Wilcox. We found more of the people who had been assigned to the base in 1940. We talked to more of the local people that were involved in 1947. So it, it became a much better story. But we have been in, unable to find anything that would link it to a PSYOP experiment, uh, some kind of, of, of hidden experimentation on the, uh, the the effects of psychotropic drugs. We couldn't find anything that would suggest it was some kind of PSYOP operation to fool the Soviets for whatever reason. Um, we couldn't find any evidence that it was the Soviets. And uh, the, the, for a while there were people talking about, well, the Soviets had developed the what the uh, TU-4, which was their copy, down to the last detail of a, of a B-29, and it could have been them flying their B-29 to New Mexico just to prove that they could. It's uh, kind of like Samsung copies the iPhone. I, I'm not going to go there because I don't want to get involved with Samsung or Microsoft in a lawsuit. So They're not going <laughs> to sue a- you. I assure you I've been doing this for years. And if they would sue me, I might make money out of it. So don't worry. Well, uh, they're a lot bigger than I am, and I have no complaints about my Samsung uh, phone or my Samsung smart TV, so I'm happy with them. We got to watch out, though. Certain Samsungs, the battery blows up. My phone is too old to blow up. Okay, well, that's that's certainly encouraging. If it hasn't by now, it won't. And watch out for Samsung washing machines, because they come apart. I, I don't have a Samsung washing machine. My Samsung TV is wonderful. I enjoy it immensely, but we've somehow got got, got off track here. From a B-29 to a Samsung and an iPhone. I was just thinking if we brought an iPhone back to 1947 and tried to reverse engineer it or even a Samsung, but seriously. Okay, so you look into the possibility that the Soviets did something to mimic our technology and they were flying them around, but that wasn't it either. Well, if you if you look at the history, you find out that during the Second World War, a number of our B-29s had, had landed in the Soviet Union because, you know, as they were attacking Japan, they, they had troubles and they had to go to the closest base to land. So the Soviets had like four B-29s and they reverse engineered them and created basically a B-29. So the theory was that they had flown one to New Mexico to prove that they had the range to attack the continental United States, but it's a one-way mission, and there's no evidence that that took place. And all their, actually, all their B-29s, their TU-4s were accounted for in 1947, so um, there's nothing missing there. But what I'm saying is we, we, we did all of this sort of due diligence in trying to find an alternative explanation. I've got uh, scads of... of um, manuals on balloons from the Navy and, and, and whatnot, looking for some kind of a balloon experiment that might have covered the situation. And we just could find absolutely nothing that, that would suggest a terrestrial explanation, which of course doesn't take you to the extraterrestrial. It merely says we haven't found anything that explains it in terrestrial terms. Let's take a look further at all this eyewitness testimony that came up that talked about possible 
bodies of aliens and everything. Now, before we get to that, let's get to the fact that we're talking to witnesses here to an event that happened 30 years previously. So even though there was some scattered mention of this case up until the late 1970s, it was scattered. Nobody followed up on it. It was three paragraphs in a Frank Edwards book. Who takes that seriously? So, okay, we have all these witnesses that you were locating over the years. How did you allow for 30 years to color their testimony? Back when we started, I think that the um, evidence for memory wasn't quite as definitive as it is today. And people were uh, saying things about memory, especially flashbulb memories, which this would be a, a memory of an important event in their lives. And they would recall it properly and, and uh, coherently. And, of course, we've now learned that that's not necessarily true either. So back when we began, we thought they were probably relating things to us properly and accurately. So then... We're going to break in a second. So then it's just our viewpoint at the time. We didn't realize how unreliable memory can be. And therefore, you just took this stuff at face value. I assume, therefore, there must have been a lot of contradictions. I'm going to have to go into that in our next segment. We have Kevin Randall. We have Gogs Mackay. We have Erica Lukes, who's our guest co-host. Chris is on the mend. You're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features, and most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Did you know your car can be hacked just like your computer or phone? Hackers can hijack the signal of your own key fob to burglarize your vehicle in seconds. The Black Hole Faraday Key Fob Bag is a signal and penetrable shield that stops these hacks in their tracks. Protect one of your most valuable assets. Go to HackProofBag.com. That's HackProofBag.com. And use promo code RADIO to get 20% off. Or call 805-222-4584. 805-222-4584. We're all looking for safe, effective, and all-natural remedies for ourselves and our family. The solution is Simplex. Simplex oils provide natural anti-inflammatory and pain relief, antioxidant and nerve protection, and is an amazing topical acne removal and skincare supplement. Natural healing at a very affordable price. Find out more about our non-psychoactive CBD oil products. Go to SimplexSpecials.com. That's SimplexSpecials.com. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. 
Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. Reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So we continue with Erica Luke's guest co-host, our favorite moderator, until we have another moderator on the show and he becomes or she becomes our favorite, Gogs Mackay from Scotland and Kevin Randall, author of Roswell in the 21st Century. And we're talking about our understanding of the reliability of human memory in the 70s and 80s and such, and maybe we were a little naive about it then. So clearly, though, when you talk to a bunch of different people about something that happened 30 years previously, you're going to get contradictions, Absolutely. So how did you, you weigh those? We looked at what documentation was available through the newspapers so that we could compare what was being said in 1947 with what was being said in 1990 1991. I think the one thing that the, the skeptics pointed out, well, the people said there were four bodies, somebody said there's five bodies, somebody said there were two bodies. And, and I said, you know, they're looking at it from a different perspective, a different point of view. If I only saw two bodies... I'm relating that I saw two bodies doesn't mean there wasn't another two somewhere else. It means that was the only observation that I made in 1947. So we realized that in talking to people whose jobs would have been different, whose participation in the event would have been from a different perspective, that we're going to have those sorts of contradictions. That wasn't the thing that really was turned out to be the stumbling block. It turned out to be all the lying going on. And I had thought until I read a book called Stolen Valor in the mid-1990s, I did not believe that people would insert themselves into a story just for their 15 minutes of fame. But that's, we found an awful lot of that. You know, the, best, the best way to explain that is 
at one point there were in the early 1990, I think there were 2.5 million Vietnam veterans. I mean, guys and women. There were few women, but but women who served in Vietnam. There were 2.5 million of them. In the 1990 census, there was a question on the census: Are you a Vietnam veteran? 13 million people said yes. Ten and a half million are lying about it. Why would you lie on the census form? Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to have any reason to check it. But ten and a half million people lied about it. Uh, and, and this book, Stolen Valor, just kind of brought all that to the forefront for me of all these guys claiming these horrific combat experiences in Vietnam. And you go back and you'd look at their records and you find out that they had been clerks in Vietnam. They hadn't served in Vietnam. They'd been in Okinawa or Japan or Germany uh, for their two years w when they were drafted. Quite a few of them hadn't even been in the military. And yet they've got these horrific stories of their combat experiences in Vietnam. You know, we're now in the, 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 the age of fake news. There was a documentary on CBS called The Wall Within or something like that. And it was talking about these Vietnam veterans with their horrific stories. They didn't bother to check their records to see if they'd been in Vietnam or had been in the military. They just accepted everything at face value. And you go back and you look at some of these guys, the ones you could check, you find out they were lying about it. So... Yeah, I came to the realization that we've got problems with that as well. Not only do we have the problem with memory going astray on us, uh, I think Elizabeth Loftus did a lot of work on this, that, that uh, you know, we were reading her stuff as it came out on the problems with memory and how it is manipulated and how it changes, even when you don't mean to. I mean, uh, I think Lydia Schleppi, again, is a wonderful example of this. She original story that appeared in 1976 about being told to stop the transmission. She said that it was interrupted, you know, stop the transmission. By the time I talked to her, it was, this is the FBI, stop this transmission. So she had been, she had listened to some other people talking about the involvement of the FBI, possibly the investigation, and incorporated that into her memory. She's telling us the truth as best she remembers it. It's just some of the details have just are not quite accurate. And sorry to interrupt you, but you, we're talking about this, and I, I want to ask you this because people have insert themselves, like you say, into these scenarios. Tell us about June Crane and your thoughts about June Crane. Oh, good old June. She was a very nice lady, and she had sent me a letter talking about her involvement in, in this. She was a clerk typist, a typist mm -hmm. at Wright, -Patterson Air Wright, Wright Field, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. And she was talking about how at some point an NCO that they knew came in and told them about this aircraft that came in with, with alien bodies on it. And then within minutes or within hours, a colonel would come in and said, don't talk about this to anybody. Uh, he has a $20,000 fine and 20 years in jail. If you talk about these things, it's, it's classified. Don't talk about it. So we uh, were looking at her story and she sent me an awful lot. I've got pictures she sent me. I've got some of the original documents of her employment proving that she was in uh, employed at Wright Field at certain times, but then you go, you begin at looking at the dates, and they just don't track. You know, she wasn't employed at Wright Field in July of 1947. She'd been employed there, and she would be employed there again, but in July of 1947, she wasn't. Uh, so I got to think, well, maybe it was the Kingman, Arizona crash before I realized that was a hoax, but the dates again didn't track. Um, she had UFO sightings. She provided names of people. Unfortunately, we couldn't find any of them alive to, to corroborate what she was saying. But but she was a very nice lady. I think she was somewhat lonely. 
and I'm sure that she was trying to relate to us the truth as best she could remember it, but I don't think her story was was accurate. And so, you know, that was kind of where we left it. I got a email from um, Jim Clarkson. Yes, about- in fact, I, he's a friend of mine, and I interviewed him on my radio show and played some clips that June with her speaking about this. And I had sent him, I had sent him copies of everything I had. So that, that he could do that, and he spent a lot of time with her, and I read his his stuff on uh, online and everything, but we just couldn't corroborate the timing of the event. When she would have had to have been at right field in her position, and she apparently had a, a fairly responsible position, even for clerk typists. I mean, some clerk typists have to be cleared for classified materials because somebody has to type that stuff and you can't imagine a colonel sitting down to type his own stuff for crying out loud so clearly she you know she was there she had the classification uh, the clearances that she claimed to have she clearly worked there at periods she got a nice review she got promoted but the timing simply didn't work out there was nothing in the documentation that supported her stories now a question occurs to me as we talk about people inserting themselves into historical events like having service in Vietnam when it didn't exist or the Gulf War or something. So this is happening with Roswell as it became more famous. Did that basically influence more and more people to insert themselves in the story? Absolutely. And, and if it wasn't just the person himself, it was the children of that person inserting themselves into the story. Well, my father told me this tale. The father may have fact told them a tale, and the father may have inserted himself into the story. Now the children are relying on what the what the father said about being involved in this sort of thing. But you've got all of this sort of uh, stuff going on, and when you check it out, it, it just simply doesn't work. Uh, there's a guy named Lee Reeves. I think his father had been in Roswell in 1947, had been a police officer at some point, been in the fire department at some point. In 1947, he was a laborer with it in an oil refinery in the area, if I remember the, the um, city directory correctly. We can look all this stuff up in the city directory. He was saying that his father told him that he and Dan Dwyer, Dan Dwyer being the father of Frankie Rowe, who said that he'd seen the, the bodies, Frankie Rowe, uh, Dan Dwyer being a fire firefighter. And, and we got pictures of him in his firefighter uniform. And, and when I went through the um, fire department logbooks and records for 1947, I found his name repeatedly as being in charge of of some of the firefighting activities. So Lee Reeves said that he had uh, gone out to the uh, crash site with Dan Dwyer in their makeshift pickup truck with a big water tank on the back or something. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it would have been an official a fire vehicle and it would have been in the logs that they had gone out on this run outside the city limits and it's not there. And Dwyer said nothing about this. We talked to another guy named, I believe his last name is Smith, who had been a firefighter at the time. And uh, uh, Carl Flock in his bo- book about Roswell talks about uh, him saying that they, they didn't make the run to the outside the city limits and left it at that. I asked uh, Smith an additional question. I said, you know Dan Dwyer? And he said, oh, yeah, he went out there. And I don't know why Carl didn't ask that question, but he didn't. So, so we have Smith saying, yes, 
Dan Dwyer went out there, but he went out in his personal car, is what Smiths had said. So we, we, we got that kind of figured out. So, I mean, there's one point where we've got some contradictions and we were able to figure it out. There was no record of the fire department going out there, yet Dan Dwyer said that he'd gone out there. You know, how do you reconcile these two problems? And the answer is he didn't go out there officially. He went out there in a private car and some colonel from the base. And again, it's always a colonel. It's never a major, never a captain. It's always a colonel came into the fire department and said, don't worry about this. We got it covered. We'll handle it. You guys don't have to do anything. Smith told me all that from his perspective of being a firefighter at the department in 1947. So the point is, Reeves uh, talked about how his father had gone out with Dan Dwyer. Everything says that story is untrue. Let's progress um, more of this unraveling Roswell and to see where it leads and doesn't lead. With Kevin Randall, Gogs Mackay, Erica Lukes is our guest co-host as Chris is on the mend. You're in the podcast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. This is Ben Gordon, and if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, Power Swabs is the answer. In five minutes, you'll see two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. There's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Power Swabs, call 1-800-290-8480. Your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free. 1-800-290-8480. That's 1-800-290-8480. Are you looking to become more self-sufficient? Then you need to have your own energy source. The Solark EMP hardened generator is automatic, maintenance-free, and reduces your monthly electric bill. You can also take it off-grid when you go camping. Contact PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 today. Portable Solar LLC gives you everything you need to start using solar energy in less than one hour. Solark EMP hardened solar generator energy insurance. For your family or business, call Portable Solar LLC today. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So here it unravels, or whatever. Anyway, let's kind of look at the end of the process and maybe start disassembling this, because there's so many stories we can tell about Roswell. We can do 100 shows in succession and never cover all of it. So this is going on, and then there's a point where you 
put together a few people to set up a Roswell dream team to look at this as a cold case, reevaluate the evidence. And at the end of the day, the only person left standing is Kevin Randall. How did this idea begin? <laughs> I had thought about doing a, a, a book about Roswell and looking at it as a cold case. And I actually approached a publisher to do it. And the publisher hadn't gotten back to me at, at this point. And we were in Roswell. And I say we, we were there for the festival, Don Schmidt, Tom Carey and me, and lots and lots of other people. And Carey said to me one, one day, let's go to a church's fried chicken for lunch. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay. Not going to get me to not go to a church's fried chicken. I will go there. Repeatedly. He wanted to sit down and do an investigation of the Roswell case with me. I said, sure. Remembering that I've already had, had uh, contacted a publisher about this and was worried about what would happen if the publisher said yes. Turned out the publisher said, no, we, wanted, we want a book with more cases in it, which became the um, uh, government UFO files. So the book that I had proposed evolved into the government UFO files, which was not a Roswell book. So Tom Carey proposed to me that we work together. And I'm thinking, great, Tom, I'm, I'm willing to work with you. That's a good idea. Uh, before I know it, he had asked Don Schmidt to join in, which he should have said something to me before he'd done that. And so that I figured, well, if we got Don Schmidt, maybe we ought to look at a couple of other people whose information would be valuable. Uh, David Rudiak, for example, who just immerses himself in these things and has all the minutiae at his fingertips. So if I get stuck on a question, I would ask the David Rudiak for the answer and he would send me something. In, in response. I mean, he had it all. I don't know how he categorizes it, catalogs it, uh, sets it up. I don't know how he does it, but he seems to have the stuff at his fingertips. And there's been a couple of really obscure questions. There had been a story that came out in the newspaper about uh, something on a ranch uh, the week before, and I asked Rudiak about it. He said, well, the only thing I can find is this case that took place in Las Cruces, and I think that's probably it. So we, we brought in David Rudiak, and uh, we brought in Tony Begalia because he was very good at locating people uh, through his through his work and what he what he does and his contacts. He could look locate people. We need somebody from the skeptical side, and we, we settled on Chris Rakowski, who's uh, well-known in the field as well, and we were going to kind of look at all of this as a, um, as a cold case. Well, then we moved to 2012, so we've been working on this, and we hold a meeting in, again in Roswell. We all happen to be in Roswell. We're in Roswell, and we're sitting in the breakfast area of the hotel like at midnight talking about this, and I said to Tom and Don, we have to come up with some witness here. We have to come up with something here that moves us beyond the pale, moves us beyond where we've been before, some kind of new information. And they nod and say, yeah, we got to do that. We got to do that. At the time, they had already learned about the Roswell slides. They were involved in the investigation. They said nothing to me about this. I learned about the Roswell slides from Rich Reynolds on his UFO Conjectures blog. That was the first I'd ever heard of it. And I sent an email to Tom, and, and uh, he wrote back and said, yeah, that's you know, very bizarre and that sort of thing. So I really didn't know what was going on at that point. Here we're supposed to be working together, and I'm out of this loop. All they had to say in the, the meeting that we held was, we've got something working on. We can't talk about it right now, but we've got something going here. Didn't say a word to me. And as, so as this evolved, I realized that there was – we really weren't working together on anything. We were kind of working at odds with one another. So I, I said, well, I'm, I'm, done, with, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm out.
Um, it sounds like you were all working for your own interests, at least the other people, or at least certain people, because I'm sure Chris Rudkowski doesn't do things like that, nor does Kevin Randall, and Mr. Rudiak certainly doesn't, so I tend to think we have two left, but I will not cast aspersions. Well, I was going to say, and, and we can't forget uh, Tony Begalia, because he was he was telling me some things about this, so he was he couldn't understand why I was outside the loop. The other thing that, that turns out bizarre, I have an email from yeah Adam Dew, who was the guy that first approached Tom with the slides, the not Roswell slides, and Dew said, should we bring Kevin Randall into this? And Don and Tom said no. So here we're allegedly working together on this project, and they've cut me out of this one segment of it. I don't know what the motivation was, other than I might have been way too skeptical. And I said to Tom in December of 2015, before they had the great reveal in Mexico City, I was trying to figure out what would the image be on the slides. And I was looking through science fiction books. I was looking through uh, a lot of information on movies from the 1940s where they might have created some kind of a prop of an alien creature that might have found its way into the mainstream in that way. And I couldn't find anything like that. And the only thing I could think of since this was Roswell, it's the desert Southwest that a, a lot of times mummies, uh, you know, the people when they, when they died and they were buried, they would mummify through natural processes that it was some kind of a mummy. And I, I sent an email to Tom, could this be a mummy? He said, no, can't be a mummy. And as we all know, within 48 hours, we learned that it was in fact a mummy. And you think but also we have an obsession with mummies. There've been some really big films. About well, mummies over the years. I mean, starting from the early 30s with Boris Karloff as the mummy. And we have a brand new movie about the mummy where the mummy is a woman and Tom Cruise is chasing after her. So mummies have been part of her pop culture. But there was nothing, you know, if you look at the mummies in the movies, especially in the 30s, they certainly weren't as grotesque as the ones that, uh, that they can do today with their abilities. But But there was just nothing that looked like it could be an alien creature. Uh, the only thing I could think of was a mummy, and they said, no, it's it's not a mummy. And, of course, we, we, we now know the truth about that. But, I mean, they didn't really perform their due diligence, though Tom says, oh, we did our due diligence. Well, no, you really didn't, because it turned out to be a mummy. The first time I saw the slides, and I'm not the only one, a lot of people, I think, thought this. The first time I saw the slides, I said, it looks like a mummy in a museum, in a display case. Of course, what was it? A mummy in a museum in a display case. And I'm not an expert on museums. And certainly Chris O'Brien, I think, felt very much the same thing. And you came to this logical conclusion. So I just think here, when you, whatever is going on here, I would think an extraordinary effort was made to take something totally unrelated and make it Roswell because we need Roswell. We've got to prove Roswell. And they were desperate. And maybe that's most of it. I think I think if you go back and you listen to Tom um, after he announced this thing officially in November of 2014, yeah, 2014, um, Tom wanted Tom wanted to believe, Tom wants to believe, Tom wants to prove the Roswell was alien, and he thought he had the smoking gun, and I think that the red flags that would have been raised by someone who is um, not quite as excited about the extraterrestrial as Tom was in that that respect, might have might have caused them to be a little bit more cautious. Um, they allegedly saw the slides, uh, according to I think it was Tom uh, talking on uh, the X Zone radio show. 
that they had met would do, and Joe Beeson, who was the alleged owner of the slides, Tom and Don in Chicago, and they brought the slides so that they could see that there were actual slides. It was not something generated on a computer. It was an actual slide. They could see the mounts. They could see the, see of all of that. Dew took the slides to uh, to uh, Kodak in Rochester and said, yeah, the mount is correct for the period. The chemical analysis of the emulsion for the slides is correct for the period. It, it was a slide taken sometime in the late 1940s. Well, we now know it was taken out before May of 1947 based on when that mummy was moved out of that one museum to, uh, to um, Montezuma's castle in Arizona. Well, let's just take it from there in a moment. The book is Roswell in the 21st Century, but we're talking about not the Roswell slides. That title, of course, is Kevin's because it signifies the fact that a connection between Roswell and those slides was never found, although certainly some people tried real hard to make it so. Unfortunately, they didn't. Kevin Randall with Gogs Mackay and Erica Lukes. You're in the Paracast. Here's a shout-out to Audible for supporting the Paracast. You know, for a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com slash Paracast. You know, Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original shows, news, comedy, and lots more. They even feature books from our paranormal corner of the universe, such as the one I'm listening to right now, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers. You know, we had the authors on our show featuring Stan Friedman and Kathleen Marden. Once again, here's that special offer for listeners to the Paracast. Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. It's easy to download and listen at home or while you're on the road, especially if you're stuck in traffic and need to just chill. You can also listen at the gym, wherever you have the time to give a listen. Just go to audible.com slash Paracast to sign up and get your free book. Audible.com slash Paracast. It's that easy. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com. 
My name is Robin. I'm 47 years of age. I absolutely love One World Whey. It was about five years ago when a trainer told me it was the end all of protein powders. One day when I ran out, I decided to try other brands. I spent eight months and could not find a replacement. I went through tons of brands, types, and flavors, and almost all of them tasted unnatural and not pleasant. When it all boiled down, I came right back to One World Whey. I buy the cost-effective five-pound container and my family craves their One World Way too. I look forward to and enjoy having my One World Way and feel great after I drink it. Thank you Synergistic Nutrition for perfecting a protein powder in the product One World Way. From taste to how it makes me and my family feel, you get an A++. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. Fully cooked, ready-to-eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center-cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready-to-eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready-to-eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So Erica Lukes is our guest co-host. Chris O'Brien's on the mend in the hospital, and he's got some serious stuff going on, COPD. And the flu, and so, you know, he's getting better, though, and the doctors are trying to get a good handle on ongoing treatment. I don't think you ever recover from that. I'm not sure. I'm not a doctor, and don't play one on TV. Kevin Randall is joining us. Scott Mackay is our guest panelist. And we're talking here about the Not Roswell Slides and how this all came to be or not be. So, Obviously, Kodak was right in the limited purview of their expertise, which is the age of the emulsion when it was developed and everything else. That only tells us a time period. How do you move that to Roswell, New Mexico, for heaven's sake? The owners of the slides, and I go into this in great detail in the book, by the way, based on everything that went on so you can see the whole evolution of this. But the owners of the slides were a couple named the Rays in Midland, Texas. And he was in the oil business and Midland and Roswell both are in the Permian Basin. And so he operated in that whole area in the late 1940s. And they took lots and lots of slides. And the slide collection was from them. After both of them passed away, Beeson's sister, I think it was, came in possession of the slides and found these two slides in it. And they decided that they showed an alien creature and got in touch with Tom and Don to validate that sort of thing. So the slides were from the proper era. They looked unusual. I'm not sure why you would look at a slide uh, in a museum setting and immediately assume it's an alien creature. I do not understand that. There's a placard in front of the, the alien creature which was blurred to a point that they apparently, I don't know if they could read it or not on the, on the original slide because I've never seen the original slide. There is discussion about when they scanned them, then that would be due and Beeson scanned the slides to present that information to uh, Carrie and Schmidt. 
that they they did something to even further obscure the placard. Dew says, no, they didn't do anything like that at all. The scans were what the scans were. I do know that the, the slides that were presented was slide number 9 and not the slide number 11. I'm wondering what slide number 10 looked like, and maybe the placard was readable in that slide. I don't know. But the point is, uh, within 24 hours, or 24 hours, 48 hours of these, of the a higher resolution scan being being available, and that was after the program in New Mexico City in May of 2015. The placard was decoded, and we realized that you know it says it's a mummy of a two-year-old child, two-year-old boy. So I mean, the, the information was there if they'd followed the leads properly. And Tom said that they had seen the original slides, but it was due that carried him to Kodak, and it seemed that there were other things going on that kind of raised a red flag. But the connection to Roswell apparently came from the Rays because they happened to live in the Midland area. And that's part of the Permian Basin, and and, and in his geological survey area, Bernard Ray got into the Roswell area. So they just made this... Tom made the assumption, and Tom made the assumption based on there was a spot on the skull of the mummy, and he remembered in his Frankie Rose description of uh, Child of the Earth, which is a cricket, and her father, when he described the alien creatures that he had seen to Frankie Rowe, mentioned the Child of the Earth. So Tom saw that that image on the um, skull of the uh, mummy and he immediately assumed it was Roswell. Don has said repeatedly he never really connected it directly to Roswell at any time, although if you listen to some of the interviews he'd give, he certainly does seem to suggest that. Tom was always of the opinion that it was of Roswell, and it may be that one thing on the uh, skull of the mummy that, that led him in that direction. Now, after all is said and done, after the event or the disaster in Mexico City, we did a couple of shows on the subject, and you were on one of the shows. And we saw all this disassembled, and it seems so obvious in retrospect, though I could see the desperation. Today, if I asked Tom Carey and Don Schmidt, what do you think? What's your take on the Roswell or not Roswell slides? What will they say? I am hesitant to put words in their mouths, because I, I, the only thing I'll say is the last time I spoke to Don, he seemed to accept that it was not an alien creature and the last i heard from tom and he was on the exxon uh, with rob mcconnell talking about this he seemed to be of the opinion that it's not completely a closed case there's still a possibility that it may be an alien creature he has not completely closed the door although i think he's got it so it's uh, going to be very hard to get through it. I mean, he's just about got it closed. So you might say Tom is kind of holding the door on that, and Don has kind of closed the door on it. It kind of reminds me, in a way, of closing the door on MJ-12 after all these years. And looking at your book, and I have to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there are, what, over 700 separate references, distinct references in this book. It's an amazing piece of research. You go into the MJ-12, and there's one thing that struck me here. So William Moore was writing a science fiction book before MJ-12 came out, right? Absolutely. And that kind of predicted some of the elements of MJ-12. It was the blueprint for MJ-12. And he was working with a fellow named, oh, Bob Pratt. I don't know why I was hesitating there. Uh, To do this book about... um, Project Aquarius. Now, if you ask some of the proponents of MJ-12 today, 
uh, about Project Aquarius, they're going, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. But Project Aquarius was the first stuff that came out that uh, preceded MJ-12. But they were writing a book uh, about a super OSI agent that had kind of cracked the um, Project Aquarius. And, and, and the, the blueprint for MJ-12 is this science fiction novel. And when the MJ-12 stuff started leaking out, Pratt called Moore and said, maybe we ought to dust off our novel again. Uh, get that going. So, so MJ-12 is predicated or, or preceded by this uh, by the science fiction novel that uh, Bob Pratt, Bill Moore, and probably Richard Doty were involved in creating back in uh, 1981, 1982. All this is documented through information that was provided by Bob Pratt, and I think um, Barry Barry Greenwood and Brad Sparks did a paper at a MUFON conference about all of this as well, uh, laying all this stuff out. It was, so I was able to use an awful lot of their research to kind of substantiate some of this. And then other things that we learned going forward, you know, I, I would ask, I asked the Woods about um, Project Coeris. And, and Explain who the Woods are for those who aren't acquainted with them. That's a good point. Uh, Bob and um, Ryan Wood are the... Uh, now the guys who are running the Majestic Documents website, and they've been involved in the research of the uh, MJ-12 documents for years and years and years, and both sincerely believe that the documents are authentic. And they, so I uh, sent an email to uh, Bob Wood, Dr. Robert Wood. He was an aerospace engineer, I believe, um, about this. And I asked him about Project Aquarius. He said, I'll get back to you. Well, the book is out and has been out for quite a while. The book was done quite a while ago, and I still haven't heard his answer. I um, sent the same email to Stan Friedman, and Stan Friedman says, "I don't know what you're talking about with Project Aquarius." You know, and I've, so I've got you know the email from from Stan Friedman about that, ignoring Project Aquarius completely. But that's the precursor to to MJ12. Let's put this so, together in our next segment with Kevin Randall and Erica Lukes and Gogs McKay. We're going to have questions from listeners included. In our next few segments, okay, with Gene and Erica and Gogs, you're in. The podcast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com. This is Ben Gordon, and if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, Power Swabs is the answer. In five minutes, you'll see two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. There's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Power Swabs, call 1-800-290-8480. Your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free. 1-800-290-8480. That's 1-800-290-8480.
Individuals and businesses with tax problems listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-615-7709. That's 800-615-7709. 800-615-7709. Back pain doesn't take vacations. It never celebrates holidays. It's on the job 24-7 to keep your life exactly where it is, in limbo. But it doesn't have to be that way because Laser Spine Institute can help you take back your life from chronic neck and back pain. With a less than one-inch incision, our minimally invasive procedures have provided relief to over 60,000 patients with a 97% patient satisfaction rate. So get ready to stand tall and live the life you've imagined for yourself without pain. Are you or a loved one suffering from a bulging disc, herniated disc, spinal stenosis, pinched nerve, or degenerative disc disease? Call our spine care consultants now at... 855-519-BACK For a no-cost MRI review and to learn more, it's time to say goodbye to chronic neck and back pain. Call 855-519-BACK now to see if laser spine surgery is right for you. That's 855-519-BACK What have you got to lose? Laser Spine Institute, the leader in minimally invasive spine surgery. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-704-6182. A Place for Mom offers free one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call A Place for Mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Call 1-800-704-6182. That's 1-800-704-6182. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. All right, so we have to keep this pretty obvious and down to earth here. We have a sci-fi book that predicts something, just like, for example, when George Adamski allegedly met Aliens in the Desert in California. In 1952, he wrote a book several years earlier that kind of predicted what ended up. So now we have this novel that kind of sets the framework for MJ-12. So therefore, Kevin D. Randall, we assume that either Richard Doty or William Moore were responsible somehow. 
you the other thing you have to remember is Bill Moore said to Stan Friedman, I think he said it to Brad Sparks, Friedman told me about it, that Bill Moore had said he was thinking about creating a Roswell-type document that he could show to some of the witnesses to suggest that they were free from their security oaths and they could talk to him about the Roswell case. He was talking about creating a Roswell document, and then, you know, 18 months later, he's got the Majestic 12 document in his hand. So, I mean, there's another another clue of, of what's going on. So, yes, we've got a, a book, a science fiction book by Bob Pratt and Bill Moore, and Pratt said there was, there was a third author on it, and he wasn't sure who it was because he, he was using a pen name, but he thinks it was Richard Doty. So we've got that book, and the next thing we know, we've got the documents showing up at the home of Jamie Shandera, and I'm trying to figure out, uh, Jamie Shandera being a film producer and a, a friend of Bill Moore, and I'm trying to figure out, okay, I've got these documents, these MJ-12 documents, that are going to really blow the lid off the flying saucer field, and rather than going to the New York Times or the Washington Post, or CBS News, I go to some obscure producer in, in Hollywood and send him the documents for him to publicize them. This makes no sense to me whatsoever. Plus, we have the problem with the provenance. Where did the documents come from? Well, we don't know. Uh, what government agency are they from? Well, we don't know. Um, how did they come to you? Well, they came to me in an envelope on a roll of 35-millimeter film, but I don't know who sent them. So you've got a real problem with provenance there. And I actually asked Stan Friedman about that once, too, and he says, well, that, that's probably because sharing these documents with uh, those not authorized to hear classified information could get you in a lot of trouble. And I'm thinking Pentagon Papers. I'm thinking Deep Throat. I'm thinking all of these things that have gone in the past. There was always a provenance. The people who were deeply involved in this knew where the information was coming from. I mean, Bob Woodward knew that it was Mark Mark Fries, I think it was, who was the who was Deep Throat. It was Mark Felt, but it doesn't really matter at this point. He knew who the guy was. He knew where it was coming from. It wasn't as if the information wasn't there. MJ-12, we don't know where it came from. We have no clue. So that's a real issue with MJ-12 that they just don't want to seem to address. They hold the door on this thing being authentic, without having any evidence to prove it's authentic. And everything that's been done since then has led to the conclusion it's, it's not authentic. And one of the best examples of that is in the Eisenhower briefing document, which is the thing that kind of lays out MJ-12 for everybody. There's one paragraph that talks about a crash of a UFO in Del Rio, Texas. And that information came from a guy named Robert Willingham. Willingham claimed to be a high-ranking Air Force fighter pilot who was involved in seeing this crashed UFO just over the border in Mexico that was recovered by the Mexicans, I guess, and maybe got to the United States. But Willingham told this story about that. It turns out Willingham was not a high-ranking Air Force officer. He was not a fighter pilot. Um, the original story, which I actually found the original story he told in a 1968 version of the Skylook, which was MUFON's original publication. It's March of 1968. It's on page three, and there's a paragraph about Colonel Robert B. Willingham of the Civil Air Patrol, not the United States Air Force, talking about how in 1948 he was flying F-94s with the Air Force, and they were alerted that something had crossed the dew line, and the thing had crashed in Mexico, and he 
he got to see the remnants of this. Well, in 1948, when this allegedly took place, uh, the Dewline didn't exist. The F-94 was not an operational aircraft. And later on, he changed the dates, he changed the times, he changed the locations, he changed all this kind of stuff. And when I tried to check out his military credentials, I found out that he had been in the um, Army from December of 1945 to January of 1947. So he was technically a veteran of World War II. The war didn't officially end until 1946, so anybody who served in the military, even after the shooting had stopped and the surrenders had been fired, were considered veterans of World War II. He claimed to have been in Korea. There's absolutely no evidence of that. Pictures that were taken of him in his alleged Air Force uniform, people said, well, how could he do this in the 1960s? Here's a picture of him in his Air Force uniform in the 1960s. And I looked at it, I said, nah, you know, that's a Civil Air Patrol uniform. And the giveaway is that metal plate on his shirt that says, you know, Civil Air Patrol. It's kind of a dead giveaway, guys. You know, I went to the documents in St. Louis. I went to the Air Reserve Personnel Center in Denver to, to try to check his records, and it could not be checked out. But the point is, Willingham told a story to Todd Zeckel. Zeckel wanted to write a book about this crash and had relayed the information to Bill Moore. So Moore inserts that information into the, well, I just accused Bill Moore of forging the document, didn't I? Bill Moore inserts the paragraph into the Eisenhower briefing paper about this crash in Del Rio, Texas in December of 1950. The thing's a hoax. If the MJ-12 document is authentic, how did this hoax information that didn't exist when it, the Eisenhower briefing document was supposedly written in 1952, how did that end up in the Eisenhower briefing document if the document is authentic? And the answer is it couldn't possibly have. But we can we can link all of this stuff together from, from Moore to Zeckel to Willingham, you know, step one, two, three, and how it ends up in the Eisenhower briefing document. All right. Now, this seems so obvious in retrospect when you look at it. And Stanton Friedman has been selling MJ-12 for years. After all this, he still won't listen and say, you know what, maybe I was wrong. Come on, Stan. The last I heard on this, once again, I'm in Roswell, New Mexico with everybody. And I, I think it, it may be, it may be uh, 2012, I don't remember, whether it was 2011, 2012. But I remember Stan saying to me, I believe you're right on Willingham, meaning He's making up his story, but you're wrong about the Eisenhower briefing document. Well, the story's faint. You know, uh, Moore believed it was real. I, I, you know, Stan once said to me, um, you know, how do you prove, prove a negative? You know, uh, prove that there was no crash on the plains of San Augustine, for example. So as a joke, I sent him the MJ-12 document because it doesn't mention it. You know, I thought that was pretty funny on my part. But he... Um, he said that uh, the, the, the difference was there were bodies recovered there and they wanted to keep that information away from the president so they didn't put it in the MJ-12 document. So you've got a, a real dichotomy here. If MJ-12 is real, how can the planes of Zanagestan crash be real? And if that's real, how can the M, uh, MJ-12 document be real? You know, it's, it's, it's a, a, a real disconnect there, an intellect disconnect. But Stan continues to hold the door on MJ-12 being authentic. Um, and I don't know... Uh, I don't know why he won't look at the evidence um, that that I think is overwhelming. Anybody that looks at the evidence uh, with a dispassionate view has to come to the conclusion that there are real problems, not the least of which is, as I said, the lack of provenance for the for the original documents. Remember, CBS News did a thing on 
uh, George Bush's uh, Air Guard Service, and they used four or five documents that they had received. They didn't have the original documents, like MJ-12. They didn't know who the author of the documents were, like MJ-12, yet they used them on the air, um, saying, you know, this underscores that President Bush did not complete his Air Guard Service properly, and within a matter of days, uh, it was it was pretty well shown that the documents were fake. You know, I did an article about this as an expert in typography for my tech blog at technightout.com. And what I pointed out here is if you look at the structure of this document, forgetting all the military stuff, just the type used, it was done on a computer. It wasn't done in the way that it would have been done if the document was real, it was done on a personal computer from the 90s, whatever. Couldn't well, have happened. A, We've got more to a, come with Kevin Randall and Erica Lukes and Gene Steinberg and Gogs Mackay. You're in the podcast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. We use cell phones against our heads every day. But now, a landmark U.S. government study confirms increased health risks from exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The time to protect yourself is now. The solution is Defender Shield. Proudly made in the USA, Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation emitted from cell phones, tablets, and laptops. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. Use discount code DEFENDER for 10% off. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in EMF radiation protection. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. Had it been the sweet Paris air permeating the night, the intoxicating way her beauty had overtaken him. Whatever the case back then, Jordan Dunleavy is still in love with the memory of Lauren, the woman he'd lost so many years before. In Bookstore on the Seine, the journey of a conspiracy analyst, author C.L. Hendman, ties 
conspiracy theories, mystery, irony, and romance into this stimulating novel that masterfully interweaves the past with the present. Available on Amazon and Kindle and at bookstoreonthesend.com. That's S-E-I-N-E dot com. Bookstoreonthesend.com. Warning. If you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-959-5759. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee, so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. 1-800-959-5759. Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? In case you're wondering about the noise in the background, we have gardeners who have no respect for anyone's need for quietness. But that will disappear shortly. We have... Kevin Randall and Erica Lukes and Gogs Mackay, and we're trying to put together the nail in the coffin for Roswell? I don't know. Certainly for the MJ-12 documents. But Kevin, let's separate one more thing here. It's not just the Eisenhower briefing document that's involved here. According to Stan Friedman, he had gone to the archives and he'd found a whole bunch of these things, some of which are real and some of which are fake. How does that happen? There's, there's a lot of people out there creating these MJ-12 documents. The uh, problem that we run into is, you know, you, the, the one thing that he's found, I think that's been found in the archives, was not found by Stan, but it was found by Bill Moore, which was the uh, Cutler Twining memo, which is supposedly on a um, onion skin paper in a file where it shouldn't have been. It hadn't been properly declassified as it should have been before that document was released that mentions MJ-12. And I think what happens here is somebody gets a hold of an authentic document and retypes it and inserts the uh, references to MJ-12 into it. And that, that was the thing with the uh, Bush documents. You know, if you if you saw the movie Truth, she's saying at the end, you know, somebody would have had to understand the lingo of the time, the tenor of the time, but the thinking of the time, how these things were created at the time. And I'm thinking, no, somebody just needed three or four documents from the time that they could retype and insert the things they wanted inserted into it. So it looks like it's an authentic document. I think it's what's happened with MJ-12. They found authentic documents. They've retyped them so that there's a reference to MJ-12. The Aquarius Telex, which was the first thing to mention MJ-12, is actually a retype 
of an authentic OSI document. And if you compare the original document to the the retyped version, there's no reference to MJ-12. Bill Moore told Dick Hall that he'd retyped the, the memo because the copy he had was so poor it was very hard to read. So he'd just retyped it and put the proper headings on it and like that so he'd have a clear, clean document, uh, but he couldn't produce the original. So, you know, we've got, we've got those sorts of things. And I think that's how that happens. Somebody retypes a document. Stan Friedman says that the Twining memo, for example, was uh, inserted, uh, uh, carried, was, was faked and inserted into the, uh, um, the place where it was found. It wasn't supposed to be there. It was inserted by somebody else as disinformation. I'm thinking that it was, uh, it was done by Bill Moore and Jamie Shander to provide a provenance for one of the MJ-12 documents. Well, you see the National Archives has it, but the National Guard Archives only certifies this is a document in our possession. It was, wasn't was found where it was supposed to be, and there was a lot of problems with the way that thing surfaced. Um, Stan says, well, it's very hard to sneak a document into the National Archives, and I say, no, that's quite easy. Sneaking a document out is much, much more difficult because they've had problems with that in the past, but sneaking stuff in, I mean, I carried my um, legal pad in there, for example, and I could have had something inserted in the pages somewhere. Uh, they just look and see it's a legal pad that's nothing written on, and we continue on. So, uh, you know, there's no problem sneaking something in. So MJ-12, I think, is pretty well a dead issue and should have been a dead issue 15 or 20 years ago, and we should have moved on to other aspects of UFO research rather than trying to validate this thing that's clearly a hoax. But Absolutely. even MJ-12 becomes a cultural myth. Right. It should be reduced to a footnote, and in Roswell in the 21st century, and I've done the same thing on my blog, which is uh, kevinrandall.blogspot.com, which I, I put in there so people go there and look at my blog, but I've done a lot of stuff on MJ-12 there as well, talking about some of these things, the responses from uh, Bob Wood, for example, to some of the things I've said, but you know, all of this stuff is, is out there. I've tried to, when I wrote the book, I tried to footnote everything and provide a source for the information, so if you don't want to believe me, you can go back to the source and see if I've accurately reported on what they said or what they did or what they thought at the time. We've got some questions in the chat room and sorry to, to cut you off, Gene, but I, this is in relation to all of this. I'm wondering, you know, we've got Marduk who is saying, why should we bother with Roswell? Seriously, what's the point when there's stuff happening right now that we should be focusing our energy on? By stuff, do you mean stuff outside UFOs or UFO stuff? I'm assuming that he's referring to UFO stuff. I would say back in the 1990s, the reason you wanted to focus on Roswell was because it could be the Holy Grail. It could be what proved alien visitation to us. We've now moved beyond that. We realize that Roswell's not going to be the Holy Grail. It's not going to do it. We need to clarify. We need to clean, clean up the mess that we made. And I say we, I'm including myself in that, of the Roswell investigation. We need to clean that mess up so people understand what happened there or how we got to the point we are now. But as we move into the modern times, as opposed to 1947, the, the problem is we're we're overwhelmed with some of the information. There's an awful lot of fake stuff going on. You know, if you look at the uh, internet, there's just literally hundreds of fake UFO videos on there. Anybody with a, uh, a, a camera and a computer can make a just incredible uh, 
looking video in today's world that's very hard to disprove. Um, and the sightings aren't nearly as robust as they used to be. If you look back at Level Land, Texas, for example, in 1957, you've got the craft interacting with the environment. You've got installing car engines. You've got multiple witnesses at multiple locations reporting the same thing going on. There's a possibility of a landing trace. You've got all of the elements you would need, again, to prove an uh, alien visitation. We don't seem to be getting those sorts of cases anymore. That's a great point, and it has changed. The phenomena has, has changed, and we're not seeing that nuts and bolts, trace evidence like you're talking about, or the craft. But what are your thoughts on some of the anomalous light phenomenon? Because to me, this is where we really need to direct our attention. My PhD dissertation was on how belief structure uh, influences the identification of ambiguous stimuli, which be lights in the sky, basically. And if you had a belief in alien visitation, then you may have interpreted them as alien spacecraft. If you believed in angels, uh, you might interpret them as angels. If you had a real interest in the paranormal, you might interpret the, the lights as ghosts. It all depends on how you interpret that information. There's some suggest. I, I think we learned something about earthquake lights because of that uh, right. phenomena based on the the um, stress fractures of piezoelectronic uh, crystals in the Earth's, Earth's crust, causing lights to to manifest themselves. We learned something about uh, the ionization of the atmosphere and how those things might become visible. So we're learning things that take us uh, further in science but not necessarily toward the extraterrestrial. Let me ask right, you a fast question here before we move into some other topics. And, and Eric, I guess you're going to start, and I'll let you ask your question in a second. Very quickly here, based on the fact that we know a lot more about things that can cause bogus UFOs, or IFOs as opposed to UFOs, does that mean that maybe we should look more into some of these classic cases and maybe more of them will be explained accordingly? Absolutely. And the best example I have is the Charles Wooded sighting. If you remember, these were the two airline pilots that saw a cigar-shaped craft with square windows buzz by their their airliner in 1948, I think it was. And this is this is was an important case for the airport Air Force because these guys were uh, experienced pilots. Now, fast forward to March of 1968, and we've got the reentry of the Zon 4, I think it was, Soviet spacecraft. And as it broke up in the atmosphere, um, a number of people thought they saw a cigar-shaped craft with square windows on it. We know what the, the stimuli was. It was the breakup of this spacecraft. Most of the people who saw it realized what it was, but some of the people drew illustrations that are reminiscent of what uh, Charles Wood had drew in, in the 1940s. Fast forward even further. Now we have video cameras everywhere, and you watch um, the uh, re-entry, not the re-entry, but uh, meteor falls, and you can see the things breaking up. And what you what you see on there, and and I've, I've done this on my blog. I've actually shown some of the photographs taken from these from these videos of of uh, meteors falling out, and and you see a bright light at the front, and then you see what looks like windows. And it's the meteor breaking up and, and, and streaming out as it, as it uh, comes apart in the atmosphere. So we look at some of the classic cases like Charles Wood, and, and we can say, I think with great confidence, and I'm, I'm alone on this one, I think, but <laughs> virtually alone on this in, in most of the UFO community, I think uh, Charles Wood saw a meteor break up. It was a bolide. It looked, based on their perspective, like it was uh, traveling um, 
horizontally or even climbing a little bit, but I think that had to do with the optical illusion of the clouds of where they were uh, at the time. But I think we can look at some of that stuff and you say, this probably is a meteor. And if you look at some of the cases, you, you see, well, I saw it for a second or two. And if you've only got a brief look at something like that falling, the mind generates the object uh, you say, well, it looks like an airliner, therefore, uh, you know, that's what you think it is. It's an airliner coming down. So you've got all these kind of problems. Let's go into more of this and return to some more of the legends of Roswell that turn out not to be true. With Kevin Randall, Erica Lukes, Gene Steinberg, Gogs Mackay, you're in The Paracast. <laughs> listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com. Stop by and take a shopping tour. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Before we go on our final segments of the show with Kevin Randall, I want to tell you about the other radio show that we do called After the Paracast. It's part of the Paracast Plus. To learn more, go to plus, P-L-U-S dot theparacast.com. We give you an ad-free version of the show, free of the network commercials, better quality audio, After the Paracast, and more for prices beginning at $1.49 a week. How about that? Plus dot theparacast.com. 
Quickly, Kevin, because we have listener questions and everybody's champing at the bit for comment. Let me ask you one thing to move on from there. All right. Reidentifying old UFOs is one thing that could be another show. But back to Roswell. One of the linchpins of Roswell, alien bodies. How did that begin to unravel? The problem is most of the people that we talked to who said they saw alien bodies were turning out not to be telling us the truth. Uh, Some of the information we had was secondhand. I think of Melvin Brown. He apparently told his family, uh, his daughters and his wife, about having seen alien bodies in 1947. But that's secondhand testimony. And given what we've learned about all of this in the last decade and a half, I'm not really thrilled with secondhand testimony anymore. But if we look at it, We had Glenn Dennis, the mortician, talking about what his nurse pal had told him about alien bodies. But again, it's secondhand information. And it turns out Glenn Dennis probably wasn't being as candid with us as he could have been. In other words, we we could never find the nurse. He gave us a name for the nurse. We spent an awful lot of time looking for Vic Golubik said that uh, he had identified uh, like 25 nurses who'd been in Roswell at the air base and the civilian hospitals uh, at the time frame. None of them were named this Naomi Self, which is the name that Glenn Dennis gave us. So we go to Glenn Dennis and we say, we can't find the nurse. There's never been a nurse in the military named Naomi Self. And he says, well, uh, I made up the name. I told you guys I wasn't going to give you the name. I told you it would be a fake name. Now, nah, he never said that to us at all. He said to me in confidence, I'm going to tell you the name of the nurse. Just don't tell anybody. And then he proceeded to tell everybody else himself. And and one day he was berating me because we had not found his nurse. He said, how come you can't find the nurse? And I said, well, Glenn, you've got to understand that there are people in the country that have the same name. We found four women named Naomi Self. None of them are your nurse. I said, I was looking for a guy named uh, Robert Slusher, who had been a crew member at Roswell in 1947. I just talked to a guy today when I was talking to uh, Glenn, named Robert Slusher, who'd been a major in the Army Air Forces back in the World War II. He's not the right guy. And Glenn Dennis says, oh, I know Robert Slusher. He lives over in uh, Las Cruces. And by God, that was the right guy. But the point is, Glenn Dennis is berating us for not finding his nurse. And now he's saying, well, I never gave you the right name. Now, that's how it came apart. There's a couple of people. There was a Thomas Gonzalez who never really described it, but he would make whittlings, carvings of this. I talked to the guy briefly a number of years ago. I have no reason to disbelieve what he said because here's a guy who seemed to be very credible in what he was saying, but we didn't get a lot of information out of him. But most of the stories uh, of, of seeing the bodies firsthand have collapsed or they're secondhand at best. Some of them are thirdhand, and then once you get to a thirdhand testimony, it's just practically useless. So we've got a question in the in the chat room, Kevin, and I just wanted to ask you this. I mean, is this your last book on Roswell? Yes. Okay. I, can, I cannot see doing anything. <laughs> Actually, it's a, a different question that was posed to me in, in relation to my radio show about this. And, and, and then the question was, where do we go from here on Roswell? And thinking about that, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know where we go. The the witnesses, the, the people who would have been alive at the time in 1947 that could possibly tell us something have all apparently died. We have no documentation. We do not know what government agencies to FOIA. And even if we did, they'd say we have no documents responsive to your request. Even if it's highly classified, I don't know where you go from here. I looked at all the information that we had. I tried to look at everything. I tried to look at it in a dispassionate light. I wanted to tell the story as best we could do it in the 21st century. And what we're left with are, are pretty much uh, some anecdotal testimonies that really don't take us very far. So where are you going to go from here? What are you going to focus on next? 
I have actually been uh, doing some stuff uh, again on an outgrowth of a question on my radio program on on Socorro. I had talked to Ben Moss and Tony Angiola about the Socorro case, and they said a couple of things on my radio program. And you can you can access that by going to what is it the xzbn.net, the Xzone Broadcast Network.net, and you can find a log of my radio programs. And you look for the one with with Ben and Tony on it, and we can listen to this discussion there. And it led to some other other people as well. But they said a couple of things that that surprised me. One is that there was uh, corroborative witnesses. And the other thing was that the, the symbol that we'd all seen for so many years was the wrong symbol. So I began some research into that, and that led me to talk to Rob Mercer, who'd gotten a whole bunch of Blue Book files from um, a guy named Carmen Carmon Roman, uh, Murano, who had been a member of the Project Blue Book staff as they closed down Project Blue Book. And it all came out, uh, he, well, he had some documentation there. And so I was, I, I, I just kept getting deeper and deeper into the story. So I've been working on getting some stuff on the Socorro case. I'd asked Ben and Tony if they'd looked at the police logs to see if they had the names of the people who had seen the object were, were in there. And they said no. And I thought, well, this is useless information. And then I found a report from Richard Holder, Holder who had um, investigated the case for the military on the night it that happened and he talked to the police dispatcher and the police dispatcher tells him well three people had called in and saw the object in the sky but we didn't write any of this down so what that does was verify that people had actually called the police department on that date about this so we we were able to you know verify some of that stuff so i've been looking into the socorro case more in depth into the Socorro case lately. That's great. You know, Ben and Tony, they're friends of mine and they've, they've done a, an excellent job with Ray. And I know Chris O'Brien was mentioning on the last week's show how much he values Ray and had worked with him. And I mean, he sounds like an absolutely brilliant person. And, and there, I think there's going to be some good stuff coming from this. Have you reached out to Ray Stanford? I had Ray Stanford on my program. Uh-huh. So I've talked. I, I had him on the program. I had Rob Mercer on the program, uh, and they all talked about this. And uh, then I was able to get Carmen Morano on the program as well. So you know, I've done a number of programs that relate to the Socorro case from the perspective of what Ben Moss and Tony Angiola have done, from what Ray Stanford has done, what Rob Mercer learned, and and so you know, all of that is you know, uh, you know, I did like four programs, which in essence is the Socorro UFO case, which again is like 50 years old. Because uh, it's 1964, yeah, yeah, in the same boat that a lot of people uh, who were involved in that case are no longer available, but we've got much better documentation for that case than we did for Roswell because the Air Force moved in so quickly in Roswell and took away everything. And you can go to the Project Blue Book file on it. You've got the uh, 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 subsequent information that was provided by uh, Carmen Morano about what went on in Socorro. And we've got one of the guys who was there in 1964 investigating in Ray Stanford uh, that we can still talk to. So we've got all of that kind of thing going on. You can go back to the originals, not four people removed. What about the story about possible beings seen in connection with the craft at Sakaro? Uh, there's no question there were there were beings. And you look at the documentation that, that developed out of that time um, – it's there. I think it was Arthur Burns, who was the FBI guy, who said to them, don't say I was here. You know, it's documented he was there. He suggested to Lonnie Zamora that he not mention the beings because that would undermine his credibility. People would laugh at him for that. And I think that, that there was something to be said for that. But you go back to the original documentation and the original stuff going on. 
I think Heineck is kind of responsible for the idea that it was just um, coveralls, white coveralls. But there are statements by Lonnie Zamora in the Project Blue Book files that suggest that there were beings, creatures, aliens there. Uh, he said the same thing to Coral Lorenzen. She interviewed him within 48 hours of the of the sighting. She and Jim Lorenzen were there in in um, Socorro. And, and it's in the April Bulletin in May, I think, 1964, their May of 1964 issue. And she asked Zamora about that, and he kind of hesitated, and she said it's already out in the public, and so he described a little bit more about what he had seen. The beings seeing connection with Sakaro, sighting with Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, Gogs Mackay, and Erica Lukes. You're in the podcast. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Think about this. Your community's aging water infrastructure systems are very likely to be contaminated with heavy metals like lead, disinfection chemicals like ammonia, chlorine and chloramines, and pharmaceuticals like statins, pain meds, and antidepressants. And no, water treatment plants are not equipped to filter these pharmaceutical toxins out. Protect your family's water supply with the trusted Big Berkey water filter. New NSF EPA certified lab tests show Big Berkey water filters remove chloramines, pharmaceuticals, BPA, pesticides, bacteria, and viruses, all forms of fluoride, and much more. Big Berkey water filters are the original and most trusted on the market, the gold standard in water purification, and our filters last for years at less than two cents per gallon. Big Berkey, the one powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get your Big Berkey today. Call 1-877-99-BERKEY or click BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey water filters for the love of clean water. This is Ben Gordon, and if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, Power Swabs is the answer. In five minutes, you'll see two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. There's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Power Swabs, call 1-800-290-8480. Your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free. 1-800-290-8480. That's 1-800-290-8480. Honey, what is that in your CPAP mask? Oh, that's just my mold collection. Oh, gross. And what is that? What, that bacteria colony right there? Yeah, cool, huh? Okay, CPAP users, admit it. 
You're not always as careful about cleaning your system as you should be. Unfortunately, a dirty mask and hose can make you sick. Respiratory infections, allergy attacks, and more. But now there's an easy way to protect yourself. SoClean.com has released the world's first and only automated CPAP cleaner and sanitizer. It kills 99.9% of CPAP germs in minutes. For a limited time, you can try it risk-free for 30 days. Just call 1-800-944-1065. SoClean is hands-free. Just pop in your mask, close the lid, and presto, your CPAP comes out clean and fresh in minutes. Don't let germs wreak havoc on your health. Call in the next 10 minutes for your risk-free trial. 1-800-944-1065. That's 1-800-944-1065. Hi, I'm Dr. Craig Samet from Anthem. Did you know that premature birth is the number one cause of death of babies? That's why the Anthem Foundation is working with the March of Dimes to fight to end premature birth and birth defects. But you can do something today to give them tomorrow. Your support means programs, education, life-saving research, and a voice for families in the newborn intensive care unit. Together, we can help save babies' lives. Give them tomorrow at marchofdimes.org tomorrow. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Okay, alien beings, looking at all the evidence that we've seen so far in the Blue Book records and what Lonnie Zamora said, and as we said before, it's nice to have just a few focused witnesses or people we can talk to or could have talked to at one time, as opposed to the mess of Roswell. What do we know about these beings seen in connection with the craft? There were two of them. They were short. They were humanoid, I believe. And I think Ray Stanford actually said this as well. I think it's in his book that he didn't see any real facial features, but he did, He did. I don't remember if he said they, they were wearing some kind of headgear or not. I think he didn't say anything about headgear as well. But according to Ray Stanford, according to his book, according to the documents that I've been able to find, he did see beings other than just just the white coveralls that, that have been suggested. So, the, you know, the, the documentation is pretty clear on that. So I, I, uh, he saw two beings. He saw them get back in the craft and take off. I had looked at some other cases in the Blue Book files that talked about alien creatures as well. Zamora's is one of three, I think it is, where, they, where there's a claim of alien beings and it's labeled as unidentified. Most of them are psychological. You know, the person who saw this is crazy type stuff. But there are three cases and a couple of, them, a couple of the other cases that are uh, suggested of, of psychological kind of mirrors – the uh, the way the, the the creatures acted in the Zamora case and and one of those is just a one page story uh, in the Blue Book files but not labeled psychological from a guy named Oscar Link who saw something in Germany in 1950 and they were two beings and once the beings became aware of his presence or other presence they got back in the craft and it took off so there's there's kind of a precedent for this thing too when you when you look through the history of ufology. What about more recent cases? Because, again, we were talking about the fact that the older cases were more direct with more distinctive details. Are there recent cases, anyone, Erica, certainly you worked in investigations for MUFON for a while, any more recent cases where we have a craft and we have aliens and the aliens get back in the craft and off it goes? Erica? 
you know, we don't have a lot of, oh, you're going to turn that over to me. That's just rude. <laughs> I'm now taking over the hosting duties. Uh, oh, I like it. Sorry, yes. Jason. You're guys, out. Again. <laughs> guys, what what about the uh, Rua case in Zimbabwe that, that John Mark investigated? That's relatively recent, like sort of, what, 94 or something? Uh, and that was... Uh, a mass sighting, as in, uh, you know, a, a school class or two, a documentary's been made. I don't know if it's finished and out about that relatively recently in the last year or two. Um, but that there was being seen, a craft seen, multiple witnesses, and they are speaking just now. So just as an example, that to me is a decent recent case that maybe could be looked at more. Well, I, th- I think you're right. There's There are... Cases, I th- there's there's a couple I think in Australia that are that are fairly recent as well that that could be looked at where there's there's occupants seen, but I'm not that familiar with those cases. So if you know somebody else has information on that, you know have at it. I I just don't have that. I don't have information on those cases uh, at at the moment. You know, and I I will just I just got to throw this in there, but there was a, a great case just recently that was the American Airlines Flight 434 case, <laughs> which was a you know I just have to say this, but this was a, a case that William Puckett and myself and Jeff Cox investigated where there was significant radar data and audio logs from the FAA. So there are current time cases out there that are good. And I think for me, as somebody investigating what's taking place now, it is really looking at areas with unusual, like Brown Mountain, like Skinwalker, and the Uinta Basin, like Heshtalan, places where you're seeing recurrent light phenomena. And Heshtalan has done a 30-year study of that, where they've got five different types of light phenomena, and they feel they behave intelligently. So perhaps it's changed, and we just need to shift our focus. Well, and, and I think uh, Ted Phillips has done some wonderful stuff with... Um light phenomenon, if you will, down in uh, southern Missouri and things like that. I seem to find myself sucked into cases inadvertently. And this is how I ended up with the Socorro case was, you know, Ben and Tony were talking about some things that I hadn't heard before about the Socorro case. And I became interested in seeing if I could identify more information about this and kind of got sucked into the Socorro case and then became very interested in seeing how much further I could go and having an opportunity to talk to some of the people um, in Socorro and that sort of thing and and, in finding the scads of documentation that kind of leads us in one direction and 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 learning about the end of blue book from from carmen morano the one thing that he said that kind of stuck in my mind was i had asked him about getting ufo cases from around the country and during his time there he said most of them came from ohio and indiana and pennsylvania right around uh, dayton ohio and i went back and looked at the index for project blue book and 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 he's right most of the cases were from the local area and other cases if they've been reported the air force didn't make their way to project blue book they ended up on the desk of whomever at a remote air force base uh, or may have ended up at the condon committee rather than project blue book isn't it interesting and i have to say with regard to the blue book cases i mean i've been looking at Utah cases. You know, there was the Woody Harris case. Of course, there's the Delbert Newhouse case. And you've talked about that pretty extensively on your blog and and in lectures, from my recollection. But I mean, when you look at cases like that, and then you begin to to put, put the bigger picture together, some of these cases in specific areas are, it's kind of a recurrent theme. But 
my whole thing, I'm kind of stumbling around here. I have access to lots and lots of records here in my house. And uh, I don't have a great deal of stuff in the la- from, from the last three or four years, but I have a great deal of stuff. I can go back to the Project Blue Book files. I have a set of Project Blue Book files, which is a big deal now. I mean, you can go to uh, the internet and see the whole Project Blue Book files, but it, it's easy for me to research some of the older cases. So when you you know you mentioned Newhouse, I can go pull up that case from the Project Blue Book files. Or you talk about the Lubbock Lights, for example, I can pull up that case from the Project Blue Book files. I also had an opportunity in the mid 1990s to talk to Carl Hart. He's the guy that took the photographs of the Lubbock Lights. The question I finally put to him because at the time I talked to him, I think he was 61 years old. And you find that a lot of the pictures from the 1950s, 1960s were taken by teenagers, and they are now confessing that they faked them. When I talked to Carl Hart about this, he says, I still don't know what I photographed. You know, he, w- he wouldn't say it was alien. He wouldn't say anything. He says, I just don't know what I photographed. Well, you know, he had an opportunity. Nobody's going to come after him in today's environment and say, you're a bad guy for having faked these, this fo- these photographs. You know, here's a chance to come clean. And he, he, his attitude was, I don't know what I, what I photographed. So, I mean, we've, we've got that sort of thing, but I have that information available. I happen to be in Lubbock is what was going on. I looked up his name in the phone book on a lark and it was there. So I called him to chat about that. I, I kind of like the history historical aspect because I can get the documentation and on some of the newer cases I can find the witnesses and I can chat with them for the Leveland case actually hours later there was a guy named Glenn Toy and another fellow MPs at White Sands who saw an object in the sky I was able to get to Glenn Toy and chat with him about what he'd seen in 1957 and again you know it's 1957 but I got his perspective on what he had seen that night as opposed to what it said in the Air Force file and the investigation that they had done on it Kevin Randall Erica Lukes Gox McKay Gene Steinberg you're in the Paracast <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blocket Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah! Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, 
Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-848-6333. That's 800-848-6333. Will the government protect your family from Iran and North Korea's newest weapon, EMP? We buy guns to protect ourselves. Home, health, and car insurance for accidents. Maybe you also have food storage. But how would you keep your refrigerator running in a long-term EMP blackout? Using tested military designs, the Solark EMP-hardened solar generator protects and powers your critical appliances for years without burying items underground or wrapping them in aluminum foil. Unlike other preps, Solark is used every day to help offset your electric bill automatically. Visit PortableSolarLLC.com to learn how easily expandable the system is. Solark is the most affordable and powerful solution on the market. The whole system even fits in the back of a pickup or SUV and can install in less than an hour. See for yourself why Solark beats other off-grid systems at PortableSolarLLC.com. Don't wait for the government. Go to PortableSolarLLC.com to learn why Solark is energy insurance for your family. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com. And use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future. And you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. You know, just in case people are wondering, we are heard in Lubbock, Texas on KRFE Radio 580 AM. Okay? So we do have a very direct audience in Lubbock. So if anyone has any memories of that era, let us know in the show here. We'll forward it over to Kevin Randall. Wait, wait, wait. I want to interrupt on Lubbock. If you're in Lubbock, Texas, and you want to see the scene where Carl Hart took the pictures, it's a pizza hut now. And it's on, I think, 20th Street, I think. It's a big, long street through um, Lubbock. But Carl Hart told me that that was where his house used to be. And I actually picked up a couple of stones from the, from the parking lot. So I have, I have rocks from the scene where Carl Hart took the famous Lubbock Light pictures. Okay, so pepperoni pan pizza from Pizza Hut in Lubbock, Texas. Next time I'm there, or the first time I'm there, we'll welcome that. <laughs> Buy us all lunch. That's how it's going to work. Let's kind of just wrap Roswell before we go back to these other cases, Kevin. So let's take a look at it. MJ-12 is fake. 
and we seem to know who's responsible. There were no bodies seen with Roswell. No, 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 that's that's not quite right. Because once again, you know, um, most of the people who talked about the bodies were lying about it. I think Glenn Dennis, for example. But there's there's others like Thomas Gonzalez, who never really talked about this stuff. He was very quiet quiet about it, but he would uh, carve figures. And I've got pictures of those figures. Actually, Don Ecker got the pictures of the little figures that he carved of the alien bodies. So there is some evidence of bodies, but the, the real point is it's not real robust evidence. You know, here's a guy, uh, he was in Roswell in 1947. We can prove it through the documentation that he was there in 1947. He said that he saw the bodies. That's that's where we are on that on that sort of thing. So there is some testimony from first-hand witnesses to the bodies. There's a, a larger body of testimony from second-hand people, such as Frankie Rowe, Elaine Vey, for example, who's, who's a cousin or uncle Darun Rasmussen saw bodies. There's the Brown family, whose father, Melvin Brown, uh, saw bodies. So there is some testimony about that that hasn't completely fallen apart. But most of the ones that were most compelling... Have fallen apart. They fell apart, but there might be something there still... But we can't prove it at we this can't. point. Can, now, here's yeah. the thing that gets back to the beginning and end of it. Is there anything, any evidence, whatever, to indicate what happened at Roswell had any kind of advanced and or alien connection? Nothing anymore? If you look at Bill Brazel, for example, and he handled debris, he's talking about fiber optics. He's talking about this memory metal. So there is some evidence that suggests an advanced technology, but it's all testimony. It's all witness-based. So you can reject that testimony out of hand if you wish to do so. I don't wish to do so. But the real problem is uh, when you look at the vast body of the testimony, it's just not very robust, and it is basically just testimony. And there's just very few credible people left when you go down the, the, the list of witnesses, that testimony can be trusted somewhat. So you've got anecdotal testimony that suggests something advanced. You have no terrestrial explanation that eliminates Roswell, meaning that it's a terrestrially based thing. So uh, that's kind of where we are. We really don't know what it was. No possibility of a balloon. I mean, you've talked a lot about the scheduling for Mogul and all this other stuff. But even assuming records were not kept properly, were lost, evidence forgotten or mislaid. The problem is, and I was just I'm going to put something up on my, no, I just put something up on my blog about that. Um, the article from the Roswell Daily Record, Harass Rancher, sorry he told about it, that sort of thing. And if you look at that, which leads you to the balloon uh, solution, it, uh, the article is contradictory. You know, it, the, the rancher brings the stuff in to the sheriff to show it, some of the stuff to the sheriff, and Marcel and Cavett look at this stuff and say, yeah, we got to go out to the ranch. But if you look at the article, it, it says, well, they've already picked it all up. There's no reason for him to go to the ranch, and if he's brought some of the debris in, there's absolutely no reason for them to go out to do anything more. So the article is self-contradictory, um, and the balloon explanation just simply doesn't work uh, based on the records that do exist. And if uh, I'm required to... Uh, admit that the records for the Roswell crash are non-existent. I don't understand, or, or the the ones that suggest it wasn't real. Uh, the Twining letter, for example. If I'm if I'm required to accept that, why isn't the other side uh, required to accept the idea that the Mogul flight was canceled because that's what the record says? 
Okay, so if you allowed for those records to be partly incorrect, it still doesn't allow for some kind of balloon? No, I don't think so. Based on based on the testimony, you've got Cavett, who said uh, originally and said to me that uh, they were too busy to go out on any balloon uh, reconnaissance. He said later to Weaver, when they got out, Colonel Weaver was the Air Force investigator on it uh, in the mid-1990s. When they got out to the ranch, he said he knew immediately it was a balloon. And Weaver didn't ask the next question was, well, did you manage to communicate this rather vital piece of intelligence to Jesse Marcel, you know, Jess, it's a balloon, let's go home. Uh, so you've got, you know, you've got those sorts of problems. I, I just think the, the record is pretty clear on that it's not a mogul balloon. It's not a balloon of any kind. It's not a rocket. It's not an experimental aircraft. It's not any, uh, anything that we can find at this point. Which is not to say sometime down the future, in the future, somebody won't say, here's, here's the solution to Ros, and we say, yeah, God, that's right. It's kept in the same vault as the evidence for the Kennedy assassination. Which, unfortunately, was done by Lee Harvey Oswald. So, that's my... You believe he was the lone gunman, that was it? Yes. I think, think, again, it's, 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 you know, our technology... And and you look at the technology today, and they explain how all of these mystery things happened in in Dealey Plaza, and you say, yeah, it's, it makes sense. Leave Harvey Oswald just for some bizarre reason decided to shoot Kennedy because he was there, and Kennedy was there, and he could do it. Well, of course, they make a big argument here. Mark Lane did back in the '60s when I first saw him give speeches that that gun couldn't have done it because. It's so badly made and doesn't aim correctly. But I kept thinking when he was doing this, what about the exception? Even if there's a 90% probability that he couldn't have done it with this weapon because it's just not a good weapon. What about the 10% chance that just everything was there at the right or wrong time? Got all the ducks in a row. Everything worked perfectly for the one and only time, that 10 percentile or 5 percentile. And that's what happened. We call that the golden BB in the military. You know, there's no way that shot should have hit anybody, but it did. Um, and I think you go back and you look at some of the evidence today, and they, they look at the, the rifle, and they say, well, it wasn't that poorly made. And uh, Oswald could have gotten the shots off in the time he did. And he was familiar with the weapon. He had uh, practiced with the weapon. So, you know, there's all of that that comes into, into play. I think in the 1960s, when Lane and, and, and these guys were looking at this stuff, they were raising some legitimate questions. But I think the questions have been answered now. And I think we're, we're in the same point with Roswell. There's some legitimate questions that were asked at the time, and we've got answers for most of them, but we don't have answers for all of them yet. And maybe at some point we'll get those answers. I'm not sure where we would look, should look for those answers. I don't have a clue as to where we'd look for those answers at this point because I've tried everything that I can think of, but maybe somebody will come up with an a inspiration and, and find, uh, find the final bit of evidence for us. Well, if you remember the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's down in Warehouse 13. That's where everything is. So all the evidence we need to prove UFOs down in Warehouse 13. So as we progress to our final segment or so here, can we find any case out there that would be Roswell number two, would be eligible to become the cultural icon, the cultural myth, but maybe has more going for it now? Anything out there? I like to pose a cliffhanger here. Now, if you have... The Paracast Plus, you'll have no interruption, whatever, except for a few seconds of music. If you're listening to the standard version, 
the free version of the show, there'll be four and a half minutes before we get the answer from Kevin Randall about whether there is a Roswell number two out there that should be looked into or has been looked into. Kevin Randall, Erica Luke, Scoggs Mackay, you're in. The podcast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. Why be held hostage by your wireless carrier for two years? What if you had no contract, no activation fees, no hidden costs, tracking, tracing, harvesting customer data, or draconian gimmicks? All on America's largest 4G LTE, GSM, and Sprint networks. Introducing PIX Wireless. Activate your Sprint, AT&T, or unlock GSM phones with PIX and choose from an arsenal of monthly plans or build your own. Starting at only $2.99 per month. Get connected now. Call or click 1-866-205-9513 or PIXWireless.com, spelled P-I-X-Wireless.com. Pick PIX and get connected today. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNTeam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800 340 5528. 
That's 800-340-5528. Again, 800-340-5528. Worried about lead, fluoride, and other contaminants in your drinking water? Get a ProPure with the Pro One G 2.0 cleanable reusable filter and remove up to 200 contaminants. Drink water the way nature meant it to be. Clean, crisp, and refreshing. See the complete line of ProPure products, including the new ProMax shower filter. There's a ProPure for you. Visit your authorized ProPure dealer for details or ProPureUSA.com. That's P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A.com. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Roswell number two, Kevin Randall. Is there one or would Sakaro qualify? I would say before Sakaro, I would say Level Land, Texas in November of 1957 because of the number of witnesses who independently reported the craft to the local law enforcement. The interaction with the environment, the stalling of the car engines, the dimming of the lights, that sort of thing. And then the subsequent events at White Sands within hours of the Socorro event. That would be a number two. I think Rendlesham Forest would be an interesting number two. And I mentioned that. I just had Charles Halt on my program talking about his experiences with Rendlesham Forest. And he gave some very interesting information to me uh, during that interview. So we've got uh, Rendlesham Forest as a a very interesting case. Uh, The JAL-60. 1928, the airliner, I think is interesting, but only because all the radar data exists. Uh, John Callahan, who is the investigator for the FAA, has all the radar data, so you can watch the thing in real time, if you will, based on the radar data that, that was recovered back in the 1980s for that case. So there's, you know, there's three cases where there's some really interesting things going on. You know, I want to just ask you, Kevin, because again, I've heard you talk about this case and it took place in Utah and Las Vegas, and it was with the April 18th, 1962 crash fighting. I'm afraid that the uh, Las Vegas end of it probably was a meteor. And I've come to that conclusion based on, you know, seeing the meteor compilations on YouTube and that sort of thing. So that that very worrisome to me. And the descriptions given by the people in Las Vegas and talking to the sheriff's deputies and all of the people. The Utah end of the case is still very problematic because you've got the object seen very low to the ground. You've got, again, the object interacting with the environment. And the, the names of some of the witnesses escape me at the moment, but you've got the uh, car engine stalling, that sort of thing. And the one guy talked about how he jumped out of his car as the engine stalled and the thing flew overhead. You've got the uh, photoelectric cells apparently reacting in some of the towns. That could be explained by a very bright meteor because if you've seen on the, some of the meteor compilations, you've seen as the meteor goes over, the uh, photoelectric cell lights go out and then they come back on. So that may be explainable, but other lights in the city shouldn't react that way. So the, the Utah end of it is still very interesting, but I'm afraid when we get to the Las Vegas end of it, we may have a legitimate explanation for it. That's interesting. And I'll, I would love to talk with you about it sometime and kind of see what we can come up with. Well, that's fine with me, as long Good. as you bring a sack of money. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay, I'll save up. It doesn't have to be a big sack, you understand. <laughs> okay, maybe like my a piggy bank. Hey, that's good. Works okay. for me. A sack of pennies work, right? It weighs a lot. <laughs> well, if it's the wheat back pennies, yeah, that's a good a good deal. <laughs> the pre-1959 pennies, yeah. pennies. Sure, sure. Now, looking at all this, though, nothing here with 
regard to what we've unlearned about Roswell deters you from your theory still that at least some UFOs are extraterrestrial spacecraft, right? There's a possibility that Roswell is extraterrestrial. I'm just saying that looking at the evidence as it exists today is very problematic. Some of the cases suggest alien visitation. And I will say I don't think alien visitation is nearly as frequent as it's alleged in the UFO literature, but I think there is alien visitation going on. How much through the years has been possible test aircraft or just some kind of government disinformation nonsense? You look at some of the the aircraft, the SR-71, the Blackbird. If you look at that from certain angles, it looks very ufologically. It looks like a UFO. I got caught in my own syntax there. Uh, Looks like it's a ufological object. And its speed was tremendous. And this is 1950s technology, for God's sakes. And so we jump forward 50 years. I know that the um, F-111, seen from certain angles, looks for everything like a dome disc and if it's got its landing gear down it's with a tripod land gear the um b2 bomber has got a very bizarre look to it when you see it from certain angles so i think our technology can account for a, a number of ufo sightings i think there's people who uh, see things in the sky that they just don't understand i've always said you know if you've got a, a ufo sighting from some guy at three o'clock in the morning he happened to be outside and he looks up and there's a light going across the sky and it's a private private plane doing the guy's getting nighttime vfr or something and he's got his landing light on for some reason and the wind's blowing the wrong direction you may not hear it so you've got a light in the sky with a perfectly plausible explanation but you'll never find it because there'd be no documentation to uh, look for especially if it's if it's single witness you know you look you have to look at multiple witness cases you have to look for multiple chains of evidence for us to get really into the case and that's you know that's one of the delights for the um, uh, Leveland case because you have multiple witnesses and multiple chains of evidence and and the same thing with um, Rendlesham Forest uh, Charles Hart Hall was telling me that the radiation they picked up radiation, and on one side of the trees, it was higher than on the other side of the trees, success, suggesting the source was, you know, uh, in, in the, the clearing there. Uh, so you've got uh, eyewitness testimony, you've got their experiences, you've got the radiation information, you've got the uh, landing gear traces that were found. So you've got some very good uh, uh, physical evidence uh, there as well. And, uh, you know, if you go to my blog, you can click on that, listen to Halt's uh, interview, which should be up in, in uh, sometime later today. So you, you've got all of that stuff available to you. Plenty of cases to check out for sure. Yes, many, many cases. So maybe there still is a cosmic water gate, but you don't expect to ever see, and I don't either, any kind of disclosure. Disclosure is predicated on the aliens. If they land and say, here we are, there's going to be disclosure. If uh, they don't do that, I can see no motivation for the government to reveal what they know. Well, that really sucks, doesn't it? Kevin, do you do you, Kevin? Do you subscribe at all to any kind of high, strange, or paranormal aspect to you, any UFO cases, or, or are you are you solely kind of nuts and bolts guy? I am a nuts and bolts guy, which is not to say that some of the uh, cases can't exp- be explained in some kind of paranormal phenomena that we don't understand. 
So, yeah, there's always that possibility. I've often said, you know, people say to me, well, well, what do you think it is? And I say, well, I think it's probably alien visitation. But there's a possibility it's time travelers from our future. I think that's a very low possibility, but it's a possibility. Could it be some kind of interdimensional problem? Yeah, it certainly could be. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how to explain that, but it, it certainly could be some kind of uh, interdimensional problem. Uh, crossover, something like that. It could have something to do with psychic ability. But I think the probable answer is going to end up as extraterrestrial. And it may be a combination of all those things. I prefer the time travelers because that's the most fun explanation. But Well, interdimensional, say- it could be the real-life equivalent of Mixius Pitalik, the character from DC Comics, the fifth-dimensional jokester who has to say his name backwards and don't ask me to pronounce that in order to return. I- I was surprised you could pronounce it forward. So Mixius Pitalik, yeah. I had to look it up. There are two different ways. And the reason is that on a DC Comics TV show this year, we'll see him. Well, I won't, but... You don't watch those shows, I do. Okay, Kevin Randall, if we're interested in more of your stuff, and we know you have a radio show now, where can we find it? The radio show, you can go to xzbn.net. And you can find a link to all the shows that have been up there. You can go to my blog, which is kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and just scroll through there. You know, because every every time I do a show, there's a link to it, and you can watch it on YouTube. You can go to YouTube and type in my name or type in a different perspective, and you can uh, listen to all the shows there. And you can uh, go to Amazon and buy my book and get me an extra quarter that way. I think. Eric, uh, where can we find more of your stuff? Oh, I'm on ufoclassified.com. My show is Friday nights on KCOR, and that is from 5 o'clock Mountain Standard Time to 7. So I'm on every week. You can find us on Twitter. Look for The Powercast. The Powercast is on Twitter. The Powercast is on Facebook with a couple of fan clubs being a group, being a community. And I know there's a precise definition for that. But definitely there's no fake news involved. We also have that second radio show we want you to hear called After the Paracast. And After the Paracast is available only if you subscribe to the Paracast Plus. Go to plus.theparacast.com and you'll learn all the information. We give you a commercial-free version of this show with better quality audio, After the Paracast, and more. The price starts at just $1.49 a week. Our price, cheap. Plus.thepowercast.com. Erica Luke, Scoggs Mackay, Kevin Randall, thank you all for being with us on the Powercast. Thank you. Thank you, Gene, as always. And it's been more fun than getting dirty. That's comforting. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.